Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, when churches were closed and we couldn't meet together as usual. What follows is not a sermon, but a thought, reflection or guided meditation designed to help you connect with God in the spaciousness of your home. We pray it encourages and blesses you. In the last podcast episode, which was a COVID examine, I asked a whole bunch of questions to help people dig deeper into what God might have been doing in our lives during the intensity of isolation and lockdown. And one of those questions was, how could you describe your relationship with God during isolation using three words? And then I asked that question specifically to our entire Central Church community and gave each one of us the opportunity to send in what three words we would use to describe our relationship with God. And then I asked Becca to produce a piece of writing that would kind of gather up all of those words into one piece that we could each read and pray and sit with as a community just as a way for us in our own, in our diversity in Central Church to hear one another and to capture the fullness of what might have been going on in the inside of each one of us during COVID. Um, So this episode is Becca doing a reading of the psalm that she wrote and then Becca and I having a conversation about some of the themes that emerge and the nature of the spiritual life. So I really hope you enjoy it. Psalm COVID-19, a psalm of central church to creator God. As news and germs spread around tables and countries, as borders closed and my life contracted, so did my heart expand. Never had I felt so tangled up with the rest of the world. Our church closed her doors and singing songs with friends and fresh baked bread just wasn't on the table anymore your body broken now for a COVID-19 world. I was both hopeful and terrified of time at home and contagious neighbors and the threat of collapse to our healthcare system and how will I survive isolation school and no more hugs from friends. My life had been a current of raging water rushing me in so many directions and it was suddenly stagnant now, grinding to a sudden halt again and again day after day after day. The space and quiet sounded like a gift at first, and many friends around me lapped up this long, strange Sabbath as cool water soothing their weary souls. They received the spirit as comfort and restoration, and I needed to hear their stories of goodness, nearness, presence, contentment, their sense of trust bringing hope to my own sense of absence. This slow season left me lonely, needy, and a bit resentful. I was waiting for a monastic experience of intimacy, enlightening tenderness, and skin to skin. You were distant, God, or maybe close but silent, and I felt neglected, raw, weary, avoidant of all the feelings surfacing without my community to absorb. 
Thank you for being there for me, Netflix. I saw people on Facebook finding revelation in sunrises and certain you were closer than before, but maybe I wasn't trying hard enough. Even as I strained with my listening, my prayers for miracles and cures. Someone called this liminal space, and I sighed with the peace of being understood. Maybe this disorientation is a rite of passage along the way, enigmatic, mysterious, a breaking with what kept me numbly comforted before. Will this shifting space, this upheaval and undoing, lead us to something more reliable than certainty in its own tender way? The unsettled nature of my heart in these months has made it softer, more open to the voices and experiences so different than mine. Creation groans with labor pains on Darwell country and a street corner in Minneapolis, and maybe this sudden halting and undoing is salvation to us. Even as death tolls rise and our racist history reckons with us, and I don't know what to think or feel or pray, there have been moments protruding stubborn green buds pushing through the quiet fertile soil recovery in my spirit love deep in my bones new commitment with neighbors near and far and light to my eyes we are in this together this i know for sure let justice roll down like the waters with all the suffering and uncertainty and potential for more even more pain still you god our mother are pregnant always pregnant with healing for all nations and neighborhoods and even for me for us you will draw us up to your chest held close ear to your heartbeat warmed by your breath and you will never let us go amen so, Becca, you got this long list of very diverse words that came out of our community for how people were feeling about their spiritual life during lockdown. So what was your, what, tell me what some of your initial thoughts were when you saw all of these words. Mm. I, I think when you asked me, could, could I write something? And at first I was like, yes, yeah. And then I thought, okay, I'll write a psalm because psalms, Psalms are very diverse in the Bible and Psalms don't have to be great writing. They're, they're not that spectacular, some of them. Yeah. Okay. The ones we know are amazing, right? But some of yeah. them are just like rambles. And so I felt comfortable. Like, okay, I can ramble with people's words. Um, and so then I, I got the list of words and it was just, it was all over the place. Um, there were people, and there's all anonymous, but there was, you know, people who, who, used words um, to describe their relationship with God during lockdown as, as bonding and comforting and um, trusting, stable, restful, peaceful. And there were people that used words like weary and avoiding or avoidance and stagnant um, and neglected and resentful. So it's such a, it's such a range of words. Um, and so then I thought, oh, that's actually quite fitting for Psalms because the psalmists often moved from within each, within this, this one Psalms, you have what, 150 Psalms 
um, in the Bible, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but within the Psalm, you often are moving from, you know, God, you're so good to, wow, my life is so terrible. Where are you to, and I trust in you, God. Yeah. And yeah. so I feel like there was room for having however many, maybe 40 people in our church, um, sending in their words and there can be room for all of those feelings in a psalm yeah which is cool yeah it is yeah yeah so you have you you've had a bit of a journey with the psalms in your own life i guess do you want to talk a little bit about Mm. i i first i think i first really encountered the psalms as as meaningful when I was um, recovering from um, a bad car accident that I was in that had actually taken the life of eight of my friends. And um, I was waiting to have surgery on on my hand and I was feeling very low and I mean, grief, you know, probably having some kind of post-traumatic response as well. Um, and I, I looked up, I just felt to look up, I just felt like I need to go to a monastery. And I, I grew up American Baptist. I grew up very, very um, Protestant. And I just had this desire. I'd never, never been to a monastery. And I just looked up and I found one near us, maybe 45 minutes away, called St. Emma's um, and it was a Benedictine monastery. And I, I wrote to them and just told them like a little bit about what had, you know, recently happened to me. This was back in 2000, would have been early 2006 and um, in the winter. And, and they're like, yes, come, come like. And so I just showed up and spent, I think three nights maybe. And I just joined in I joined in with the sisters and the others that would join for their um, prayers five times a day. And I, one of the things I noticed is that we sang the Psalms or chanted. Um, this was, it was kind of a, a mix of, of singing and chanting yeah. of the Psalms. And it was so, it was weird. I just had never done anything like that. And it was uncomfortable. And also it was, if, and I, I, I often say that that experience was so much so after this, you know, after this car accident, which just led me to a very intense place of being disoriented, you know, when you feel like God's led you to be a part of something that just falls apart in a very, very devastating way. Um, and I, um, sorry, I lost what I was saying. What was I saying? Good thing you're going to edit this. Um, sorry. So you were disoriented oh yeah okay yeah so i'll give you, I'll give you a pot <laughs> and people very well-meaning people would say to me after that experience make sure that you're worshiping make sure that you're praying make sure that you're having quiet times make sure that you're connecting with god and what i felt like they were saying was i know you're in the desert but here's a shovel and i promise if you dig hard enough if you dig hard enough you're going to find water yeah and, you, and you're not going to die and when I showed up at, but it wasn't working. I wasn't <laughs> finding water. And so when I showed up at the monastery, 
I felt like I went to this little place where there was this stream of water running through and I was invited to kneel and drink until I was full. And a, a lot of that sense was from the Psalms and, and, and realizing that the psalmists were voicing so many of the emotions that I was feeling in my grief. Mm. And I had never in my kind of American Christian, um, you know, slightly prosperity gospel upbringing, I hadn't experienced that, that voicing of, of rawness and the joy and the pain and the despair and the hope. We can hold all of those feelings at the same time. And that's actually, you know, as someone who's been in therapy a few times, that's the work of therapy is realizing I can integrate my feelings. I can feel these things at the same time. And it's like, wow, the Psalms were showing us that the whole time. Yeah. That we don't have to suppress the bad feelings and only focus on the good feelings to be faithful. We can hold all of those feelings at the same time. Mm, that's, that is such a, I think a good point and such an important lesson for all of us to really know, like, somewhere deep in our bones that yeah that those th those feelings that perhaps our christian culture and our wider culture might label as negative or you know unfaithful like it's often like there's this sense that certain feelings like anger or disappointment or doubt or uncertainty out there labeled or like you know negative feelings in our culture but to know that they have a place um, within our lives and within our relationship with God and in our holy scriptures and are celebrated as part of the journey. Um, that's such an important lesson to learn because otherwise without that knowledge, we do just end up suppressing all of the stuff that we feel is negative, which just hides it away. And then eventually it comes out because it just eats us. Yeah, absolutely. Or it leaks out in really unhelpful ways in our, you know, outward life and so i think it's so important we all find place for for the full spectrum spectrum of human emotions um, mm -hmm. in our christian spirituality within our spiritual life that we have um a, like that we have a, a curiosity towards and a safe space for everything mm. and you're right the psalms do give us that on such a beautiful you know on such a beautiful level Hmm. Um, it was when I was, um, when I was dating Chris, my, my now husband, and I think he, he would, <laughs> he would, he would mail me books. Okay. Um, was cute. He, he, I remember when we had been dating for four, for four Fridays, he, he mailed me, um, a Walter Brueggemann commentary on the book of Jeremiah. So oh. it's very romantic. Very romantic, yes. Um, but I th he mailed me, I think this is where I got the book, but he mailed me a little, because um, we were long distance, um, he mailed me a book on the Psalms by Walter Brueggemann. A it's a little black book on the Psalms, and I'm not even sure what it's called. But, um, but Brueggemann talks about how, what a gift the Psalms, what a gift the Psalms are to us, because the Psalms are honest about this flow that happens in life where we move from feeling securely oriented, you know, that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, 
the safest place you can be is in the center of God's will. Yeah. Um, and they move us to this, they move with us to this place of disorientation. He calls it painful disorientation where it's, wow, no, bad things do happen to good people. Um, bad people prosper. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And how that disorientation is a gift because it, it breaks open the numbness and the apathy that can come with feeling secure, securely oriented, which is important, I think, especially in childhood. And it's really important. Um, some people never felt that way because of having unsafe childhoods. Yeah. Um, but when we, when we have that experience of painful disorientation, we can actually know that this is a good place, that this is, this is important. This is a way where we realize that our pain is tangled up with the pain of the world. Our healing and hope is tangled up with the healing and hope of the world. Yeah. Um, there's something that grief, grief and loss and tragedy can do is it connects you to other people in a really, this way where you've never wished it on anyone, but you also wouldn't give it away yeah what you what a gift it can be yeah um and then he talks about how the psalms most of the psalms move to this place of surprising reorientation and that's not something you get to decide to do it's always a gift we don't know when we're going to be reorientated yeah um sometimes that's sometimes that happens really abruptly with some kind of you know miracle or revelation or you know, sense of hope. And sometimes that's a, it's the, the slow thawing mm. from winter to spring. And you suddenly look around and you're like, wait, there's flowers. Yeah. Last time I looked, you know, I was wearing a parka and freezing cold and all the trees were dead. And I see, I suddenly see flowers and you didn't even notice what was happening day by day by day. Yeah. Um, and it's not that we get to you know, once we've been surprisingly reorientated that we never experience painful disorientation, that disorientation is so important. Mm. It's very important. It helps us stay awake to what's actually happening in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like um, I, I don't do this, although at various times in my life, I have attempted to do this and dipped in and out of doing this. But I, ha I do know people that, you know, will just read as part of their prayer um, time, will just read a psalm, you know, each day moving through the Psalms chronologically. So, you know, I guess, yeah, every 150 odd days, you swing back to the first one again. Mm. They do that just as the faithful practice of engaging, I guess, with this diversity of human experience, finding themselves in the, you know, orientation, the disorientation, the reorientation, and just, you know, just, I guess it's re-singing the songs of the Lord in the land of the living. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I, I, I just think, you know, for anyone who is wanting to bring the fullness of their emotional life or to kind of reconnect with, you know, emotions that are difficult or even like experiencing that sense of disorientation and don't know where to go in the scriptures and don't know how to find God in the midst of it, that probably, you know, walking through the Psalms on a faithful, regular practice would be really helpful. Um, and it's, it's odd sometimes when you're, when you come across one of the really like 
awful bits of writing in the Psalms and you're reading it out loud and you're reading about, you know, the wicked prospering or, you know, dashing the babies against the rocks, you know, like it's quite like a strange thing to say out loud and yet it's captured in these, our holy scriptures. And, and I think I'm struck too by, um, you know, the amount of time, times in that we see in the gospels that the Psalms actually leak into the sayings of Jesus and even into the things that he himself says, they come out of this ancient songbook that he was probably very familiar with, that he found his humanity um, captured in the pages of, of the Psalms. And he repeats, you know, the words of the Psalms at different times through his life. And I, I just think, you know, if it's good enough for Jesus, maybe it's good enough for us to find ourselves in all of this yeah if you think of jesus on the cross it's probably his one of his you know most painfully disorientating moments mm. and that he then used the psalms to give voice to that pain yeah that's powerful it is powerful isn't it and mm. yeah and i and i wonder what, how many times Jesus prayed that psalm or sang that psalm or spoke that psalm before he got to the cross? Like, I wonder yeah. what it was like for him to read those words, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like on the mountaintop or on the road or at a time when he felt totally disconnected to that feeling of um, disconnection from God. And yet he would still say them. And then he had those words in his bones when he went through that experience. And I wonder if that's what it would do to us if we allowed ourselves to be more formed by the Psalms is we'd be saying these words, either these more extreme experiences of emotion, as well as the hopeful, God, you're amazing, you know, everything's alive with the presence of God. If we're saying the full range of emotions, when we're in the place when we desperately need words to convey what's going on within us, they'll be rumbling around in our soul. I think mm. oh, it's, there's such goodness there, isn't there? Mm. And I think another thing, a, a what's quite beautiful about um, having the practice of regularly reading the Psalms is that when you are on the mountain and you're, you're reading a Psalm that somebody is expressing pain, that you're you're forced to make room for that in your spiritual life, even when it doesn't match how you personally are feeling. Yeah. Um, as well as vice versa, when you're despairing and you're reading, you know, people who are hoping and hopeful. Yeah. 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 And so that's a beautiful thing about being in community as well. Is that, and that's what I felt like. I guess in in writing this psalm with the words from our church is that um, people were at very, very different places. And so we probably should have, all 40 of us should have written our own Psalms. Yes. You know, that also could have been cool to just have a collection of Psalms and maybe we could do that next time there's a pandemic, hopefully never. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but then also trying within a Psalm to incorporate all the ideas and words. And so of course, I think as people listen, um, some people will probably find their experience more represented in in the psalm that I wrote, and some people less. But I'm hoping that everybody can find something there. Something in there, yeah. Hopefully. 
Yeah, I remember um, having the experience. Obviously, the words were trickling in as people were um, filling out the little survey and, and saying their words. And I started to see the words pop up. And it was anonymous, so I had no idea what, whose words were connected to what person. But I remember looking at this diversity that was coming through and thinking, flip, what's Becca gonna do with this? Because it wasn't as simple as saying, wow, everybody felt like this was a glorious Sabbath that their soul had been longing for. And they sunk into the peace and the goodness of God around them. Like that wasn't the reality. There was that. There were some people who were feeling comforted and good. And then there were other people who were like, this is awful. God is nowhere. Like, I, yeah, I'm agitated and irritated and I'm lonely and I'm exhausted and I'm distracted and I'm entertaining my brains out so I don't have to face my reality. And yeah, I, I, I was just, I was struck by the diversity between people, but also because I gave people the opportunity to get, put three different words to their spiritual experience, there were also some responses where the, the diversity of emotion was contained within their three words. So like one word might've been comforting. Another word might've been silent. Like there was, there was this sense of like the presence and the absence of God in one person's own experience. And I didn't have any real agenda when I asked that question of our community other than the belief that to be able to articulate what is going on inside you is actually a helpful thing. Um, but I guess I'm hoping that as people read and listen to this psalm, that it might actually help them come to peace or a greater acceptance of the diversity of spiritual experience both in their own life across time, but also that sense that we can hold within ourselves simultaneously conflicting emotion or conflicting spiritual experience. And that's okay. That that's actually just one of the beautiful parts of being human is that you can have a moment of hopeful peace followed by a sense of devastating loss and neither of those feelings cancel the other out but they can coexist in some kind of way within us but I do think it's hard for us as humans to do that I think we we tend to feel more comfortable being dualistic or being black and white or you know feeling like we have to label any given season in our life as one thing rather than holding the tapestry of mess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I am, um, I have definitely had, you know, seasons of my life where I found that starting out my day by writing my own Psalm has been a very helpful spiritual practice um, it's usually those times when I, f I am grieving or I'm feeling, yeah, just feeling like God's far away and I want to actually honor those feelings. And I, I can see in the Psalms that you're allowed to express that. And so I've had 
not not heaps, but I've had definitely a, at least three or four times in my life I can remember in adulthood where I've had a little notebook and I've written, you know, Psalm January 7th, 2009. And then I just start writing. Yeah. Wow. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. I've got, where are you? And it's really cool when you actually let yourself be completely unfiltered. I'm not going to show this to anybody. Um, you know, you don't have any pressure that anybody's ever going to know what you're writing that actually I can move myself through. And some of them would end with, yep. Okay. I don't feel like you're here, but some of them I would actually discover things about myself in my, in writing just with freedom that would surprise me and ways that I was actually experiencing God, even though I felt like I wasn't experiencing God, that was, that would be surprising. And I would find myself ending a lot of them with this sense of hope Mm. or a sense that hope would come, hope that hope would come or whatever. But it was always, I don't know, it was really cool. So I highly recommend that. Yeah. You know, and, and some of them you might write and be like, whoa, I actually really love this. and I do want to share this with somebody. Yeah. But you can just be free to just write, just write out your prayers to God. Um, yeah, that's great, Becca. Um, so we're in this funny place, I feel, at the moment, especially with the whole, you know, pandemic with COVID-19. We're in this place where, you know, the fullness of our lockdown experience has passed um, because restrictions are easing and different places are now, you know, open and we're allowed to move around a lot more. So we're not, we're not as, you know, our kids are back at school. <laughs> um, glory be to God. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we've come out of the, what you could say is the depths of the, the fullness of the experience, but neither are we yet back to normal in terms of, you know, everything's the, you know, open to us the way it was, um, before this happened. So we're, we've, we're in this funny in between time, I would say, where people are probably likely to still be experiencing some disorientation around some of my life is back to normal, but parts of my life are not. Um, everything's changed. <laughs> Everything feels the same. Like, you know, there is, we're, we're kind of still in this in between space. So I guess my question is, you know, do you have any wisdom you would say to those of us who are feeling, you know, the, all the feels of that in-between time? Hmm. I think being honest with yourself about how you feel um, being honest with somebody else about how you feel, um, that it's okay to kind of miss having my kids home all the time, even though I'm also so happy they're back at school. <laughs> it's okay to have both of those feelings. It's okay to be enjoying the way that, you know, work has slowed and also really question my value as a human because my work has slowed. It's okay to have have those mixed feelings um it's okay to be for me as a american and australian i've i had to i've had to realize it's okay for me to be really grateful that i'm in australia where the pandemic is being contained really well and to also feel sad that i'm not with my family 
and to feel sad for my family who lives in America and, you know, my sister who's pregnant and going to give birth during a pandemic. Um, yeah, so I think just not, just not feeling like you have to move past or shove down any feelings um, and just trying to be maybe more attentive. So I think we've had, a, we've had some good excuses to binge watch shows and um, eat lots of <laughs> loaves of bread, <laughs> which we have done at our house. And um, yeah, and I think, I think now for myself and for my husband, um, we're, we're trying to like really pay more attention. Um, where we maybe gave ourselves more excuses to just be comforted. We're trying to actually listen to that pain and, and not, not avoid it um, as it's coming up and the questions that are coming up. And I think there's something with, I think it's really interesting, um, especially watching the protests happening in the US and the protests happening here around Black Lives Matter and ending um, Aboriginal deaths in custody, and just the conversations that people are actually, I mean, I've seen on social media, I've seen white people, and in person, engaging in a lot more conversations, where people are ready to um, begin reckoning with the racist histories of my, you know, my two countries where I, I hold um, citizenship, and I mean, people of color in those countries have been reckoning with those since the day they were born. But for white people, I've had the choice to ignore. And it seems like people are more willing now. And I just wonder if that has to do with the, the slowing down of everything and that we have more, there's more time and space and less buffers. Mm. Um, and so the pain, the pain is surfacing and whether that's pain that people have experienced or pain that, that people have um, caused to other people, that we're all more willing and open. Um, I mean, not all of us, but yeah. um, you mean just watch a thread of comment, comments, <laughs> even on, you know, Illawarra Mercury or something, and you'll see that, yeah got a lot of people that are not willing to engage but i do think i have seen more people engaging the conversation yeah. around race and injustice and privilege and and power and white supremacy and i i think it has something to do with this liminal space that because our our lives have been uprooted and slowed down and it's been out of our control that that has opened us up, up more to the experience of of other people who are saying hey, my life is being uprooted and it's out of control, but for different reasons. I think we're more open to that. Yeah, which is a good thing, isn't it? And that is where kind of like being able to sit in discomfort, whether it's global or neighborhood or country-based or even personal discomfort, it, that's actually the way through to transformation. Um, when we ignore or suppress or kind of like buffer out the discomfort and silence the, the voices of difference, we end up um, not actually moving very much as human beings towards health and growth. 
And so there's a lot. I think there's so much opportunity in our world at the moment, um, <clears throat> in our city, in our neighbourhoods, and, and within each human being as we reckon with our own experience over the last couple of months where this has got the potential for great transformation um, corporately and, and individually. Yeah, it's, there's lots of hope, I think, mm -hmm. things. But it's important that we don't rush to the hope and <laughs> rush to the comfort, right? Like that's what, I mean, Brueggemann would say is this like, we don't know how long that season of painful disorientation is, but it's such a gift. Yes. We have to feel it. Yeah. And I think so, even though we're moving out of that in terms of lockdown and the pandemic for, I mean, we're having a bit of a second wave happen, I guess, in Victoria right now, but overall we're really, we're doing okay. But then it's like, okay, but now we're we're paying attention to pain and so it's like where are we not doing okay yeah and i think when it comes to racism in australia um systems of racism um and even just knowing knowing our history and, and listening to aboriginal leaders who want to lead us yeah we just we haven't been doing that and so now it's it's time to like we don't want to move to the hope too quick that's actually like god's job I think is to reorientate us. And if we kind of jump to that and say, okay, we're okay now. Um, that that's a dangerous thing to do actually. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know. I'm, like, yeah, no, I don't. I'm not saying that you were, you know, jumping to it, but I think that is like the, the thing where I think we have to stay in the, in the painful disorientation. Yeah. Um, but, and I think that's that thing I often think about, um, I was talking to someone about it recently is like, yeah, we need to learn to sit in discomfort. Um, we need to learn to hear the stories of our history that are brutal and awful and not um, that, that don't have a resolution. We actually need to learn to just listen, to feel uncomfortable and to stay there as long as we need to as in a posture of lament and um, not acceptance as in acceptance of this is the way that, it's, that it is, but acceptance of this is the truth of the experiences of people different to me in this world. And I need to, I need to hear them and to, to be alongside them. I think that's such an important. Mm. Yeah, and I love, I love in, um... I've always resonated with Romans eight and Paul talking about all of creation groaning with labor pains. Mm. And so I incorporated that into what I wrote. Yeah. Um, and I love that he doesn't say, but, but we, with the spirit of God, we, we praise God and we celebrate and we're fine and we have hope. He says, we, with the spirit of God, we groan as well. Yeah. And I think as Christians, we need to not get out of touch with the groaning of of creation, of our fellow brothers and sisters. And even if we could escape to everything's okay, we're fine. Yeah. Um, it's important that we actually are in solidarity with those who are experiencing oppression. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good, Becca. And I hope that for us as a community at Central that we keep being faithful to our journey of um, listening to the voices of our Indigenous brothers and sisters, of being led by um, Indigenous leaders in our country, that we will posture ourselves as a community to be one that grows 
and learns and faces our own places of systemic racism that reckons with the sense of our own privilege when when it, when we can see it and that we we together become you know just faithful to the kingdom of god and the fullness of shalom that you know that all creation is groaning for and so mm. i have um <clears throat> yeah just wanting us as a community to be able to do that mm. walking forward very you know sometimes it feels like we're limping or don't really know what we're doing but we're just trying to be alongside those who will lead us and take us by the hand and help us, you know, be faithful to God. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So maybe, um, Becca, just to finish up, um, you've written this beautiful piece that really does contain, you know, the diversity of people's experience. I'm going to ask you these two questions. What would you say to someone whose experience of lockdown was one of comfort and peace and Sabbath rest? What would you want to say to people who found themselves in that boat? So that's the first question. And the second question is, what would you say to the people who didn't have that experience, whose spiritual life felt more like a desert or like just silent? nothingness or who actually yeah felt you know quite had 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 either the sense the absence of god or just sensed really difficult things through that time what what what, like having kind of just sat with the fullness of our community's experience what 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 would you want to say to either of those groups and then of course because some of us might find ourselves in both of those groups just to hear Mm. the, the wisdom from both sides I guess I would say to both groups, it's okay. And I think I try to not take my visceral experience of God's presence or absence too seriously. I feel like I have a trust that has come through the past 20 years of having very painful disorientation moments. Um, But there's a trust there that's a lot deeper than what I I experience. Mm. And so I think both of those feelings is okay. It's okay. I also don't think either of them will last forever. I think I think both of those experiences are gifts that need to be unwrapped and held and examined, um, but not necessarily to be held onto too tightly. I think sometimes we can find our identity in how we experience God's presence or absence. And I don't think we need to do that. Um, I particularly like chatting to people that experience God is absent um, and would just encourage them that the desert experience of vulnerability and lack and I'm not going to survive this is often throughout scriptures where God led his people 
to grow intimacy and to train them to be shepherd leaders that relied on God rather than power structures. So I think those desert experiences are really important. So if you were experiencing this season as a desert one, I think that's actually amazing. And there's hopefully resilience growing in your spirit and your soul that will um, provide living water to people for the next 20 to 50 years. And I think if you had an experience of peace and Sabbath, I think that's amazing. And I think that's a gift. And I think you should enjoy that and let that grow a resilience in your spirit and your soul for those moments of desert that so you can look back and remember. And so I think definitely like before lockdown ends or before we get back to normal, like make some kind of piece of writing. Like I feel like I, I was really grateful for this opportunity for me to sit down and do that, to make something, to create something that I can look back on. Um, so I, I recommend doing that, even if that's just a Psalm 26 of June or whatever today is, um, 2020. Nobody's going to forget 2020. <laughs> Psalm 2020. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just, yeah, I think that's what I'd say. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's really good. And I would, yeah, just add to the end of that, like that, <clears throat> that sense of each one of us being able to articulate our experience. I think what, what I would add is that we need to share our own experiences with one another and we need to listen to one another's experiences and be able to hold them um, alongside our own. And I think I just have this, you know, uh, I don't know, it's just a little thing like rattling around me at the moment where I really feel like it's so important for people to express to one another the fullness of their spiritual experience. Because, you know, when I'm in the desert, I need to hear the stories of those who are drinking living water because there are times when I just, I need to live off their hope and their their sense of abundance because that's actually the scrap of food that comes to my soul. Um, it's like, you know, there are times when we need, we need to, when, if we're not experiencing the presence and the goodness of God, we need to, to make space and hear the stories of those who are, because that, that reminds us of the deeper truth. But, you know, and on, on, on the same way, when we're just, when we're experiencing, you know, more of the, the fullness and the goodness and the peace and the high of spiritual life, we need to be reminded that that's not the only place that we dwell as we walk through this life, that that's not the only place that bears fruit, that that's, that, that I think it's, it's really, it's been too easy in my life, I suppose, to, to kind of, plant a flag on every mountaintop of spiritual experience that I've had and imagine that the goal is somehow to get back there mm. rather than to just to, to see those experiences as beautiful, wonderful, expansive times that I 
I carry along with me as I go back into the wilderness or the desert or the valley or whatever it is, or just along the road. Like, yeah, I think it's too easy for us to glamorize something in our spiritual life and put that as the goal rather than um, maybe simply having God as the goal. (laughs) And he is found both on the mountain and in the desert. He is found in the bubbling brook and the empty cup. He's found everywhere. He's found in the light and in the depths of darkness because there is nowhere we can go from his presence. And so I feel like for me to be healthy in my spiritual life, I need to hear everyone's story. And I need to make space for it all to belong. And so I think we need to hear one another's experiences more and just honour them. That's why I think this psalm is beautiful because it captures the diversity and the fullness of a community of people and it puts both the absence and the fullness alongside each other in one piece of writing and it says God is good in both of these places and on most days I need to be reminded of that Mm. yeah Sam so it's a beautiful piece Becca thank you for for taking all of our strange and diverse words and turning them into something coherent and beautiful Mm. Um, you've given us as a community I guess as central church you've given us a piece of writing that we can look we can hold on to for now but you know in five ten years we can look back on and our children can look back and read the spiritual experience of their parents and their friends like I, I think that's a gift so thank you for for doing that it's really beautiful oh thanks we might um, play, I'll, we'll, you know, you've, re- you've done a recording of this psalm and so we'll play it again for those who are listening so that you can, you know, they can listen, we can all listen and sink a little bit deeper into the words and that, you know, these words might become a prayer for each one of our souls as we, as we journey along. So thank you. Mm. Thanks, Carol. Psalm COVID-19, a psalm of central church to creator God. As news and germs spread around tables and countries, as borders closed and my life contracted, so did my heart expand. Never had I felt so tangled up with the rest of the world. Our church closed her doors and singing songs with friends and fresh baked bread just wasn't on the table anymore. Your body broken now for a COVID-19 world. I was both hopeful and terrified of time at home and contagious neighbors and the threat of collapse to our healthcare system and how will I survive isolation school and no more hugs from friends. My life had been a current of raging water rushing me in so many directions and it was suddenly stagnant now, grinding to a sudden halt again and again, day after day after day. The space and quiet sounded like a gift at first, and many friends around me lapped up this long, strange Sabbath as cool water soothing their weary souls. They received the spirit as comfort and restoration, and I needed to hear their stories of goodness, nearness, presence, contentment. 
their sense of trust bringing hope to my own sense of absence. This slow season left me lonely, needy, and a bit resentful. I was waiting for a monastic experience of intimacy, enlightening tenderness, and skin to skin. You were distant, God, or maybe close but silent, and I felt neglected, raw, weary, avoidant of all the feelings surfacing without my community to absorb. Thank you for being there for me, Netflix. I saw people on Facebook finding revelation in sunrises and certain you were closer than before, but maybe I wasn't trying hard enough, even as I strained with my listening, my prayers for miracles and cures. Someone called this liminal space, and I sighed with the peace of being understood. Maybe this disorientation is a rite of passage along the way, enigmatic, mysterious, a breaking with what kept me numbly comforted before. Will this shifting space, this upheaval and undoing, lead us to something more reliable than certainty in its own tender way? The unsettled nature of my heart in these months has made it softer, more open to the voices and experiences so different than mine. Creation groans with labor pains on Darwell country and a street corner in Minneapolis, and maybe this sudden halting and undoing is salvation to us. Even as death tolls rise and our racist history reckons with us, and I don't know what to think or feel or pray, there have been moments protruding stubborn green buds pushing through the quiet fertile soil, recovery in my spirit, love deep in my bones, new commitment with neighbors near and far, and light to my eyes. We are in this together, this I know for sure. Let justice roll down like the waters. With all the suffering and uncertainty and potential for more, even more pain, still. You, God our Mother, are pregnant, always pregnant, with healing for all nations and neighborhoods, and even for me, for us. You will draw us up to your chest, held close, ear to your heartbeat, warmed by your breath, and you will never let us go. Amen. Thanks for listening. In this time of disruption and isolation, may you know the presence of God that never leaves you. And may you be filled in this moment with the grace, peace and joy that is yours in Christ Jesus.